That humility, that reverence for divine providence, is what makes striking Saul unthinkable. David knows he is going to become king, but he is not willing to kill an anointed of God in order to do so, even when his own life is threatened. Unlike Macbeth, he is willing to let the prophecy unfold in due course. Welcome to Bible 365, episode 211, Psalms of the Fleeing David. I'm Mayor Soloveitchik. In Shakespeare's Macbeth, the man for whom the play is named is urged by his wife to murder Duncan, king of Scotland. Lady Macbeth suggests that the nighttime, as the monarch slumbered, was the perfect moment to engage in regicide. She says, When in swinish sleep their drenched natures lies as in a death, what can you and I perform upon the unguarded Duncan? Macbeth, of course, goes through with it and starts the entire tragic train of events that brings the play to a close with his own death. Now, there is, of course, someone in the Bible who also comes upon a sleeping king and who, unlike Macbeth, has a very real moral case to make for killing the king and nevertheless still refrains. That man, of course, is David, who finds Saul sleeping in the wilderness and is told by his men to remove the threat, but he does not. And that is why, whereas Macbeth stands today as a famous literary villain, David, for us, remains a uniquely biblical hero. The book of Psalms gives us many prayers composed by David while he was on the run, much like the one we have seen before, which depicted David's mindset when he feigned madness in the court of the Philistine king. Like that psalm, these others also focus on faith, on David's reliance on God's protection while he is in danger. But there is one psalm that gives us an intriguing introduction that might point to something else going on in David himself. Psalm 57 begins with the following opening words, Lamnatzeach al tashchet. Lamnatzeach is a ubiquitous word in the Psalms, meaning perhaps for the conductor or for the leader. Al tashchet is a Hebrew phrase that literally means do not destroy. And, beginning in this psalm and in several others, appears to be a description of the psalm itself. Then what follows in the opening line is the author, Michtam Lidavid. A Michtam, which is a name for some version of a psalm, and written by David. Following this introduction, we have the moment that inspired the psalm's composition. When David fled from Saul in the cave. The next two psalms are also rendered al-tashchet, do not destroy, but Psalm 57 references one particular moment in David's life, and from our studies of Samuel, we have a general sense as to the moment described. Hunted by Saul, David flees into the Judean desert of Ein Gedi. The reference to the cave could mean that the psalm was said by David when he was hiding in one of the caves there, but it can also, as commentators note, pick out a moment in which both Saul and David are in a cave. Thus the book of Samuel tells us, And it came to pass, when Saul was returned from following the Philistines, that it was told him, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Ein Gedi. Then Saul took three thousand chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men upon the rocks of the wild goats. And he came to the sheep coats by the way, where was a cave. And Saul went in to relieve himself, and David and his men remained in the sides of the cave. And the men of David said unto him, Behold, the day of which the Lord said unto thee, Behold, I will deliver thine enemy unto thine hand, that thou mayest do to him as it shall seem good unto thee. Then David arose and cut off the corner of Saul's robe secretly. And it came to pass afterward that David's heart smote him because he had cut off Saul's robe corner. And he said unto his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing unto my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch forth mine hand against him seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. So David stayed his servants with these words and suffered them not to rise against Saul. But Saul rose up out of the cave and went on his way. 
Thus David allows Saul to live. As we have argued in our study of Samuel, this is one of the most incredible moments in David's life, one which tells us everything about who he is. Saul is trying to kill him. The opportunity to neutralize the threat was right in front of David's face, and yet David's reverence for the fact that Saul had been anointed by God means that David will not strike and that David will even feel guilty for taking a piece of Saul's robe. Thus, as some suggest, Psalm 57, which begins with a reference to David in the cave, is a window into David's mind as he faces Saul at this moment. The story of David's refusal to strike Saul parallels another which appears soon after in the book of Samuel. Here, the monarch slumbers, and again David refuses to strike at the king. The book of Samuel further describes, So David and Avishai came to the people by night, and behold, Saul lay sleeping within the trench and his spear stuck in the ground at his head. But Avner and the people lay round about him. Then said Avishai to David, God hath delivered thine enemy into thine hand this day. Now therefore let me smite him, I pray thee, with the spear even to the earth at once, and I will not smite him the second time. And David said to Avishai, Destroy him not, for who can stretch forth his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? David said, Furthermore, as the Lord liveth, the Lord shall smite him, or his day shall come to die, or he shall descend into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should stretch forth mine hand against the Lord's anointed, but I pray thee, take thou now the spear that is at his head and the cruise of water and let us go. We are now, ladies and gentlemen, able to compare and contrast David with Macbeth and ponder how Shakespeare might have been inspired by the Bible. After Duncan, king of Scotland, is murdered by Macbeth while he sleeps, another character in the play, Macduff, describes the regicide as follows. Most sacrilegious murder hath broken ope the Lord's anointed temple and stole thence the life of the building. Regicide for Macduff represents an assault on the Lord's anointed. There is, of course, someone else who says that, and that is the man we just quoted in Hebrew. God forbid, David says, that I strike at the anointed of God. There are scholars that point to the tales of Saul as inspiration for Shakespeare's Macbeth. But I would like to suggest, and I may not be the first to suggest this, that Macbeth for Shakespeare is being portrayed as the anti-David, the mirror image of David. After all, at the beginning of Shakespeare's play, Macbeth is told by witches that he will become Thane of Cawdor and then king. When the first part of the vision is fulfilled and he is awarded this noble title, Macbeth ponders how the second part will also come to be. How will he achieve the throne? Macbeth is never told by the witches that he must kill Duncan to become king. Macbeth originally seems to recognize this, and yet also feels within the urge to strike at Duncan. Macbeth reflects, If chance will have me king, why chance may crown me? This supernatural soliciting cannot be ill, cannot be good. If ill, why hath it given me earnest of success, commencing in a truth? I am Thane of Cawdor. If good, why do I yield to that suggestion, whose hurried image doth unfix my hair, and make my seated heart knock at my ribs against the use of nature? So Macbeth says, and the question perhaps that Shakespeare is provoking us to ask is, why does David, unlike Macbeth, not kill the king? If David is anointed in Bethlehem and told by Samuel that he would ultimately rule, why does David not take matters into his own hands? Especially after self-defense became a reason to render the act permissible, killing Saul would have been so easy at several moments in David's life, when he was playing the harp for the king, when Saul was in the cave, or when Saul slept. How does David resist the urge to strike? But David does resist. In fact, 
is very reason for resisting is recounted by the Tanakh in such detail that it would seem that for Scripture, this is one of the very reasons that David is meant for the monarchy, because David reveres the anointed of God. This highlights how he is worthy of the throne, for his first thought is not a quest for power, but rather reverence and awe. And it is here that we can now again approach the description given to this psalm. Al-Tashchet, literally, do not destroy. For the medieval exegete Rashi, the phrase is a plea from David to God. David is asking God to not allow David to die as he flees from Saul. In other words, the phrase al-Tashchet, do not destroy, is directed to the Almighty. But the 19th century commentator Rabbi Meir Labush Wieser, known as Malbum, puts forward a fascinating interpretation that the words al-Tashchet, do not destroy, is directed by David to himself. Haunted and hunted by Saul, with a king in a cave right before him, David is resisting the urge to strike at God's anointed. Al-Tashchet, he says, do not destroy. And he is saying those words to himself. And if David ultimately resists the urge, it is because he is willing to place his trust in the Almighty. Thus, this psalm that gives us a lens into David's emotions at this moment reads as follows. Be merciful unto me, O God, be merciful unto me, for my soul trusteth in thee. Yea, in the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge until these calamities be overpassed. I will cry unto God most high, unto God that performeth all things for me. He shall send from heaven and save me from the reproach of him that would swallow me up. Selah. God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. My soul is among lions, and I lie even among them that are set on fire, even the sons of men whose teeth are spears and arrows and their tongue a sharp sword. Be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let thy glory be above all the earth. David, in other words, according to this approach, is saying, I will resist the urge to kill Saul. I will let the providential plan play out. I will become king through God's actions alone, and I will not strike at the anointed of the Lord. In the end, what sets David apart is the fact that he's able to see God as the true source of his safety and success. That is why, as we have emphasized again and again, he never lauds himself for his military achievements and ascribes all glory to God. That humility, that reverence for divine providence, is what makes striking Saul unthinkable. David knows he is going to become king, but he is not willing to kill an anointed of God in order to do so, even when his own life is threatened. Unlike Macbeth, he is willing to let the prophecy unfold in due course. David, as we have argued in the past, is to Jewish statesmanship what Abraham is to Jewish family. The striking contrast between Macbeth and David allows us to understand why this is so. David, the man of war, ascribes the source of all power to God. David, the shrewd political actor, nevertheless eschews Machiavellianism and emphasizes emunah, faith. He is a man who knows that God has designated him to be king, but who nevertheless refuses to uproot one whom God has already chosen to be king. He is a man who refuses to harm an anointed of God, and that is why he is himself the paradigmatic anointed of God. And it is in imitating his faith that we can become worthy, ultimately, of his descendant, the Messiah, the future redeeming anointed of God. This is Mayor Soloveitchik, looking forward to learning together tomorrow, signing off.